Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. Tonight, our guest is Faith Van Gilder. Faith, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well, Anthony. Thank you for asking me. Well, thank you for joining us. You are a former co-worker and a current client, and we've known each other for a long time. You're in the middle of the Girl Scout cookie sale. Tell us how that's going in the COVID era. We are, and as you know, Allen County is um, sort of bordering between orange and red on the COVID map right now, which means girls have to refrain from selling in person, like you might have seen them in years past at Kroger or Walmart or Lowe's, but this year they're doing more creative strategies, like their little online portals where you can order from a girl and she will deliver it to you if you're in town, or the bakery will send it right to you if you're out of town. That's one way you can, if you don't know a Girl Scout, you can email the council, Iwantcookies at gsnim.org, and we will connect you with a Girl Scout. There always has to be a girl involved. You can't just buy them at a store or directly through the council. Yeah, you can't buy them wholesale. You have to exactly. go through the retailer. Yeah. So exactly. So last year was the sale pre-COVID, or did it start pre-COVID, and then so so how did how did that? I know you weren't working for the Girl Scouts then, but what have you heard about how they handled that last year? Because that would have been a little chaotic. The sale always starts in January and goes about eight or ten weeks into March, and so we had about two weeks left of the sale to go before the COVID pandemic hit. And so we did have several thousand boxes of cookies inventory left to get rid of. And we reached out to businesses and asked them if they would be corporate cookie sponsors. Okay. And many of them took us up on that deal and they actually bought the remaining inventory. And then we donated the same amount to a nonprofit of their choice or to first responders or healthcare providers, something like that. All right. So this year there was time to prepare for the new world as it, as it is and to make some adjustments to how the sale was going to happen. There was. Yeah. Well, good. Well, good. Well, we're not here to just talk about cookies. We're here to talk about your career path, a little bit more about the organization you work for, that being the Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana, Michigan. Do I have that correct? Michiana. Michiana. I always, I get so far and then I miss the last word. All right. So Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana, Michiana. And then we're going to hear about some of the projects you're working on, cookie sale and otherwise. So you have one of the most fascinating stories of anyone I've ever met um, from a I guess we'll call it a career path, but you were in the Peace Corps, and that's where your husband and you met. But take us back take us back to whatever the beginning of the story is and correct any inaccuracies in what I just said. Let's start with where you grew up and how you found your way to what you're doing today and all the stops in between. Yes, and like many people, it was a rather circuitous path, not a straightforward path at all. I grew up just about 50 miles east of here on a farm in Defiance, Ohio. And uh, I've, I've lived a very sheltered life in retrospect, but I did go another 50 miles away to Bowling Green State University, where I majored in journalism and minored in political science. And like a lot of people in the 70s, I was really influenced by the Watergate um, 
journalism Watergate um, story, and that's what inspired me to go into journalism. So this is when Woodward and Bernstein are kind of folk heroes. They, you know, were the the truth finders and all of that. It was that what the inspiration was, or was it more than that? At the Washington Post. Yeah. Yes, and uh, I was at a very influential age. I didn't really know what I wanted to study. I was either going to go to Ohio State and do agriculture and horticulture or go to Bowling Green and do journalism. And so kind of had an epiphany and decided on the latter. And I had always been good in English and I loved to write and I worked on the yearbook staff and the newspaper staff in high school. So it all kind of made sense at the time. And that was actually where I met my husband to be okay. in right. college. Okay, so it was before the Peace Corps. It really was, all right. way before. Okay. I didn't and... give Dave enough credit. So. <laughs> His name's David. <laughs> he was already destined for law school. He was a couple years older than me. And we actually met working in the cafeteria. Okay. Dining hall at Bowling Green State <laughs> University. Yes. And... Um, so he graduated, went to Washington, D.C. for law school. I graduated two years later, worked for one year as a copy editor at the Dayton Journal-Herald, now defunct. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> In Dayton, Ohio. And then moved to Washington, D.C., where we got married and I had a couple other jobs. Okay. And it was in D.C. that we started meeting people who had just returned from the Peace Corps or were heading out toward the Peace Corps because that's where the national office is for Peace Corps. And we had never, ever considered doing something like that. So at that point, had you traveled much? Obviously, you lived a couple places in the U.S., but had you traveled beyond, you know, Washington, D.C. or parts of Ohio? I actually was lucky. I had traveled all over the country as a child because uh, my dad got his master's degree at Stanford University in California. And so he did it over four summers, and we drove out to California every summer for four years and back. And so we saw quite a bit of the country as as I was growing up. And then I also um, had been to Europe um, and traveled all over Europe before... um, before that as well. Okay, so, so so not wholly unprepared for what you're about to get into with the Peace Corps, but Although, it's a different world, I'm sure. Botswana, Africa is quite a different story from yeah. California. So, so how did you, I don't know if it's an assignment <laughs> or a choice, but, but how do you end up there? Take us through, you're thinking about Peace Corps because of some friends you meet in Washington, and then all of a sudden you're in Africa. Build a bridge for us to how that happens. Right, so... Peace Corps looks at your skills and your background and uh, tries to match it with the needs of the host country. And because I had grown up on a farm and had that 4-H background, and my husband had an environmental studies background and science, we were assigned to be teachers, um, Dave, science, and me, agriculture in Botswana. And that's another story because we were originally assigned to Liberia, which is in uh, northwestern Africa, and there was a coup there a couple months before we were supposed to leave, and it was quite violent. And they canceled all the Peace Corps volunteers who were supposed to go there, and they reassigned hundreds of us to Botswana, okay. which is in southern Africa and is mostly Kalahari Desert, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very different from Liberia. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. So what is that experience like then? Talk, talk about how long were you there, and, and what did you experience when you were there? It's a two-year assignment, and you have about three months of training beforehand. Okay. And we stayed the entire time, did not come home during that time. 
And it seems like a long time at the beginning. And in retrospect, it seems like a very, very short time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how to explain this other than to say, with each passing year, it actually becomes more important in our lives that we did it. Mm -hmm. And there's such a network of returned volunteers. And for example, I'm on the board of the National Peace Corps Association. And so it it's almost more important in our lives now than it was then when we actually lived outside the country. Yeah, yeah. So so you finish that part of your career path, if you will. What happens next? Because that's obviously hard to top, but where do you go from there? So in Washington, I had strayed a little bit from my journalism mm-hmm. career. I worked for a short time at U.S. News and World Report as yep. an editorial assistant. And then I worked at a trade association, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America in marketing and publications. Okay. So I wanted to get back to journalism, knew that Washington, D.C. was too large a market to come back from Africa and try to start in. Sure. And then Dave had to resume his legal career, which he had started in Washington, and neither of us really wanted to live there anymore. Sure. So our roots were in the Midwest, Ohio, Indiana. Uh, Wisconsin, and so that's where we applied for jobs. And we had said, the first one who gets a job in their field, that's where we will move. Okay. And I thought it would be Dave, and it was me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we ended up in Fort Wayne, and uh, I worked at the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette at night, not defunct. (laughs) And then... um, Dave resumed his career um, first as a law clerk with the Allen County Superior Court, and he had to take some classes at IU Law and subsequently passed and and um, started working for Ivan Lebomov, okay, the former All right. mayor. All right. And um, that job was fine until we decided to start a family, and then working at night didn't really mesh too well sure. with that. Sure. And so after our daughters were born, I returned to Fort Wayne newspapers, but at the other paper, the Fort Wayne News Sentinel, now defunct. <laughs> so so two, two out of three are defunct two out of so three far. Are defunct. Okay, all right. <laughs> Actually, U.S. News is not really doing that. So creative. two and a half out so of four. Three out of four, really. Yeah, yeah. okay. Of my news, my news media outlets. So news media outlets of the world don't hire faith is the message. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. So um, you're at the Journal Gazette. You were working nights. What were you doing in during that time for the Journal Gazette? I was a copy editor in the features department at the Journal Gazette. Okay. All right. And then... At, was this Sandy Thorne Clark days it, at the Journal was, Gazette? Okay. It was. Right. Mm-hmm. She was my editor. I was mm-hmm. a freelancer for the next page for a very short period of That's time. That's right. Yeah. We probably overlapped. Probably. probably. At some point in there. Yeah. Yeah. So so you decide that's no longer for you because right. you have have kids. What what happens next? What happened next was a college friend worked at the News Sentinel mm-hmm. on the copy desk. Yeah. And that was the opposite. Instead of late at night, you got up really early in the morning, and that paper hit the streets at about noon. Mm -hmm. The first edition was even earlier. And so I said, hey, I've got two little kids. Um, Could I work part-time? And that worked out, and I did that for about five years. And then when the girls were in school, I started working full-time and advanced from copy editor to copy desk assistant copy chief to, you know, kind of more and more responsibility along the way. Sure, 
Sure. So, so the world of journalism at that time, what's it like? Very fast paced. You're on deadline every day. What are some of the other facets of it that you know people might find interesting who haven't worked in that world? You're really on deadline every minute, mm-hmm. and I. It became such a part of my life that I didn't realize the toll it was taking mm-hmm. on my psyche, I think, mm-hmm. until years later after I left. Yeah. Uh, not only did we have multiple editions, we had six, you know, six days a week. The journal had seven days a week, so mm-hmm. we were lucky we did not publish on Sunday. And we had special sections that came out every week for sports or mm-hmm. features. And then we had other special sections that came out periodically on various things happening around town, like when they renovated the Allen County Courthouse, for Mm -hmm. example, that was a whole special section. Or when we looked back at the blizzard of 78, I believe we did a retrospective on that. Mm -hmm. Many of them were sports related, although a lot of them were not. Sure. And again, these were in the heady days of journalism when the New Sentinel was owned by Knight Ritter, Mm -hmm. a huge newspaper chain. And they had money and resources and we attracted employees from all over the country. It was a very different paper in those days. Sure. Sure. So, so the New Sentinel, as your job changes, um, then then what are you looking at next? What's the next step in your career path from there? Well, like I said, every morning you came to work, dark, cold, didn't matter the weather yeah. or how you felt. You know, people came to work sick in those days <laughs> yeah. all the time. And it was such a team It was such a team project every day. No one person could do it alone, and yet you knew that it took every person with that skill set to put out that paper every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of other people behind the scenes, too, printing it and delivering it, et cetera. So as as the staff declined in numbers and as the circulation went down, and this was a national problem. This was not unique to Fort Wayne. Mm -hmm or the New Sentinel, or the Journal Gazette, for that matter. As those things happened, and newspapers really suffered because of um, all the content was now available free online, right? This is right at the advent of the internet. You remember these days. Yes. And newspapers were really slow to monetize their their websites, and a lot of them still. Some you you can read for free. Most of them have some sort of paywall now, Mm -hmm. or they limit the number of free articles a month. But it becomes it became such a big part of my life, that sort of career that I had just decided I was just, you know, gonna be the last one out, turn off the lights yeah. when I left. However, I got a call from a friend at a well known marketing PR advertising firm in Fort Wayne, just a couple blocks away from <laughs> Fort Wayne newspapers. <laughs> You're chuckling. It was Asher Agency. And it came out of the blue. It was this Tim, Tim Borney? Actually, it was Julianne. Oh, Julianne. Okay, that's right. I forgot about that yes. wrinkle in the story. Yes. Yes. Okay, who, Julianne Will, yes. Who used to work at Fort Wayne Newspapers as well. Yeah. And uh, she asked me some questions. Would you ever consider doing this, doing that? I'm like, nope, never took a PR class in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, one thing led to another and um, met the Borney Brothers and interviewed and was offered a job right before Christmas of of 2011. Okay. And 
So then I spent the next eight and a half years at Asher and kind of learned a whole different aspect of the business. So Tim Borney, rest in peace, he had been, he really respected former journalists Mm -hmm. and he really understood journalism. And there were, um, he really needed a skill set that included journalism and writing and editing and research. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that's how I got an interview. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, it being, as, as you know, from the experience you had here, it's a very deadline driven business. But for you, it was kind of like these deadlines are nothing. I'm used to <laughs> hourly deadlines. So two weeks is a, is a luxury. Um, and, and I have said this to you before, but, you know, your skill set in proofreading, probably the best proofreader I've ever met and will ever meet, you would find, you know, there are plenty of errors in my writing, but you would find stuff that most people wouldn't. So I think those skill sets translated really well. That's a blessing and a curse, though, Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you got to proofread everything. (laughs) And you spot errors really where you shouldn't. And then you have to stop yourself from saying something about it half the time. So as you don't offend people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, who is the author of the book? eats, shoots, and leaves. She would mm-hmm. go about England with a red pen and connect correct signage and often would, you know, be not everyone's favorite person because of that. You can get arrested for that in some places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, fortunately, you, you managed to not get arrested during your time here. That was good for all of us and especially for you. So you're at Asher how long? And then let's, let's talk about what you're doing today from there. I was at Asher about eight and a half years. And that's where my career really took off into the marketing, PR, advertising part mm-hmm. of journalism. Yeah. And yes, I wrote and yes, I edited, but it was more about connecting the dots between mm-hmm. your client and what they needed, trying to figure out what they needed many times first. Yep. And Asher had a lot of clients who had been here for a long time and I was fortunate to work with some of them and then there were constantly new clients as well where you were that discovery process was really important and because Asher had a national footprint I worked with colleagues in Washington DC and in West Virginia and really all over the place and our clients were national as well I shouldn't say past tense but sure clients are national and I really made those media connections all over the country, mm-hmm. and I learned how to work with a lot of, I had a lot of nonprofit clients. Yeah, including Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana and Michiana. Girl Scouts was one. Yeah. Uh, Aging and in-home services is a, is a really large nonprofit. Some of them were long relationships, and then some were just project-based. Yeah, yeah. And so I really got to understand sort of how nonprofits worked and who at the nonprofit interfaced with the ad agency and the different roles and, you know, kind of broaden my experience in, in that realm as well. Sure. Well, well, one of the things that, that I like about this world, and, and it sounds like you had the same experience, is you have to be somewhat agile. It's problem solving, but it's also understanding a lot of different facets of marketing and public relations because clients need a lot of different things. And you have to at least be able to assemble the right team of people to work on the problems. You don't always have to have the skill sets yourself, but you need to know who to partner with in order to solve those problems. And that 
takes some problem solving skill on its own. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk, let's switch gears for a second, because I think we've caught up to where you are today. But now I want to hear about your um, perception of this organization known as the Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana, Michiana. So one of the things that fascinated me that I learned through you and others when, when you were here at Asher, I always thought, like most people, when I think of Girl Scouts, I think of the cookie sale and I think of activities for young women, but there's really a leadership component that's primary in the Girl Scouts mission. So tell me a little bit about the organization at the 20-foot level and, and why you believe it's an organization worth knowing about, an organization you have decided you're going to spend some time with during your career. When I look at my life, uh, I've been involved with a lot of nonprofits on boards, as a volunteer, as a donor, as a PR consultant. And really, if you've summed it all up, most of what I've done has been to empower women and girls. Mm -hmm. I have two daughters. They became involved in Girl Scouts when they were in kindergarten. I've literally been involved in Girl Scouts since then. Yeah. This seems like the logical next step for me, the perfect fit, really. Mm -hmm. Girl Scouts uh, was founded over 100 years ago, 112 mm -hmm. years ago, in Savannah, Georgia, by Juliet Gordon Lowe. And so a lot of people, they've heard about Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts too, their whole life, but they don't understand that it has continued to change and adapt to the years. Uh, they may only think about Girl Scout cookies, for example, mm -hmm. or they only think about Girl Scouts going camping or singing songs yeah. or making marshmallows over the campfire. But it's changed a lot. And all of the activities girls do in Girl Scouts are building the leaders of tomorrow. In fact, our mission is we build girls of courage, confidence, and character who make the world a better place. Okay. So really everything we do is, is leadership related. All right. So, and, and what are some of the ways that manifests itself? You know, obviously there's um, a component of that that has to do with learning. There's a component of that that has to do with teamwork, but what are some of the ways that now that you are involved in the organization day to day, that you see that manifesting itself in the girls that, that this council works with? The thing about Girl Scouts that makes it so unique and different is that girls do activities in a girl-centered environment. All girls are welcome, no boys. And so that in itself is empowering uh, because they have a, the safe space, the safe chance to express their feelings, to combat the social isolation that a lot of them have had here in the last year. Sure. And they get to make the decisions. It's girl-led and it's girl-driven. And all the programming is developed for girls. And that's different from other youth-serving organizations that serve both boys and girls. Sure. So that's one difference right there. Um, selling cookies, uh, it's not just taking money and um, giving customers how many boxes of cookies they ordered. That's part of it, of course. But there are financial literacy skills they learn in making a budget, mm -hmm. in planning, in deciding as a troop what they're going to do with the profits from the cookies that they sell. Yep. Many of them take a trip. They do a community service project. They can use that money to go to camp to defray the cost of camp in the summer, all different things they can do with that. They make those decisions, they set goals, they decide how many boxes of cookies they wanna to sell to get to that goal. So there's a whole slew of leadership skills involved with the annual cookie program. 
Our latest initiative is STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, because we know that there's this big disconnect somewhere around the time girls are in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. They might start out on a par with boys and get, get straight A's in math and science, then all of a sudden they decide, nope, can't do that, don't want to study engineering in school, you know, I want to do something else. And so a lot of our more recent programs have really involved the STEM fields. And we are we have a, a five-year initiative that we're raising money for to really build out these maker spaces at our camp properties. We have a mobile STEM lab that goes to schools and boys and girls clubs, YMCAs, to offer programming to girls who might not otherwise receive it at school. Sure. So it's hands-on learning, but a different kind of hands-on learning than Girl Scouts were doing 20 years ago. Instead of being, you know, out in nature and, and doing things that are more, you know, skills in the outdoors, it's it's that plus some skills that might translate to a career one way or the other. It does still include outdoor leadership. Mm-hmm. That's still a big part of it. Yep. Yep. Uh, doing out, doing, um, Low ropes courses, mm-hmm. um, learning to learning about the stars and the constellations, uh, doing creek stomps and learning about the animals that live in the in creeks, um, identifying plants and trees, and there's a whole slew of outdoor badges and activities that girls do too. That's a huge part of Girl Scouting. Still. Sure, sure. So, so knowing that there's a huge outdoor component and that there's a big teamwork component, and a lot of this is about social skills. How has the organization adapted in the last? year because you know even this time last year it's pretty much business as usual and all of a sudden you take away some of that social component you take away the ability to work together how are you adapting and still instilling those skills in in the women who are part of girl scouts well obviously the health and safety of the girls is our number one priority through mm-hmm. the entire pandemic and so sadly summer camp had to be canceled last summer in 2020 we just decided we are moving forward with a form of camp this coming summer which will include in person but it will look different obviously with safety guidelines so that was a, that was a disappointment however we go we follow the county color-coded guidelines for COVID in Indiana. And, and, and if a county, we have 22 counties in our council. And so we have 22 counties to keep track of mm-hmm. in Indiana and Michigan. And when a county is red, girls are not allowed to meet in person at all. Okay. And then it, restrictions loosen as we, as we go to, from orange to yellow to blue on the map. And so because troops, once the weather started turning cold in the fall, they could not meet even outside, even masked, even distanced. So a lot of the programs became virtual. And they can earn badges now. Every month we have a set of badges for each level, starting with daisies are the youngest. Daisies, brownies, juniors, cadets, seniors, and ambassadors can earn badges online So our staff are doing the whole project online. We tell the girls what materials they need, how much time it's going to take, et cetera. And then they earn the badge online and can buy the badge. And so we have adapted as much as we can to the virtual world. And those those programs are continuing into the next few months until, again, the weather allows them to be outside in a more 
in a more social setting. Yeah. Well, I mean, the optimist in me says that there's a silver lining in this because then that program can be added on to what Girl Scouts has traditionally done and provide long-term maybe the best of both worlds. Some of the things Girl Scouts are, are known for and that are tried and true over the years, but also some of these new things that are maybe done as well or even perhaps done better through virtual learning and, and online and all of those things. And we even did a form of summer camp virtually last summer. And the good, the good side is that girls were able to participate from even outside our council. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the cost was a lot less. Um, the disadvantage, of course, is that you missed that social camaraderie sure. of singing around a campfire and sleeping in a tent at night with other people. Yeah. You know, you can do it in your backyard with sure. your sisters or your family, but it's not quite the same. Yeah, and it's a skill that I think kids really need today um, because so much of their social life is technology and virtual that it's rare that they have the opportunity to spend time face-to-face without technology and connecting in that way. So hopefully that'll come back sometime soon. But we do understand that parents uh, rightfully are concerned about about the health of their children and many kept them out of school this year and so we will also have a virtual half day virtual camp if they want to continue that this summer so we have multiple options yeah well that's great that's great to provide options and to kind of as a council learn those new skills so you can adapt to changing needs over time well great so let's talk a little bit then about some of the projects you're working on we all we already talked about the cookie sale but you can add to that i also want to add that you're not just an employee of the Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana and Michiana. You're also involved. You mentioned ongoing involvement with the Peace Corps. You are a founding member of Advancing Voices of Women. So when I talk about the projects you're working on, certainly feel free to talk about things with the Girl Scouts, but but other major things that are on your plate now, things that are exciting or keeping you up at night or maybe a little bit of both. Yeah, it's all a big juggling act, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So um, actually at the Girl Scouts, I wear two hats marketing and development. Okay. So in addition to promoting the the Girl Scout movement and the Girl Scout programs, um, I also interact with donors. That could be foundations, United Ways, individuals, corporations, the whole gamut really. Okay. There are several of us, a team that all are in charge of fund development. And um, that, I had really not done that professionally certainly not at Asher, but I had experience at nonprofits Mm -hmm. asking people for donations. Uh, I was familiar with the language and uh, knew what a community foundation did and and had the relationships in the community that uh, really it's it's really about. Sure. So um, in addition to the annual cookie sale, uh, one fun project at Girl Scouts is the great is the Girl Scout Tree Promise. And that is a goal of planting five million trees in the next five years nationwide. There are over a hundred Girl Scout councils. Okay. Right around a hundred. And so this is a national initiative. And it's all kicking off sometime around April, May right after Earth Day, so probably more May for our council. And uh, there are three goals, plant, protect, and honor. So these trees can be obviously at Girl Scout camp properties. They can be in parks, churches, schoolyards. They can honor somebody, 
or you know just add to the canopy and so that's I think a wonderful project that's going to unite Girl Scouts across the country and really enhance the environment the physical environment of our communities as well is that something that your organization is looking for partnership with are you looking for sites to plant trees are you looking for funding all of the above okay all right so if somebody's interested in having some trees planted at their school at their church uh, somewhere of any size whatsoever Mm -hmm. they could contact the volunteers yes all right okay great so um so you've got that what what else is what else is happening and then you mentioned Peace Corps. Yes. And this year is the 60th anniversary of the Peace Corps. JFK founded it in uh, March of 1960, and then the first volunteers went in 1961. So this is uh, this was supposed to be a, a big celebration with a big reunion uh, of Peace Corps Connect. That's our annual conference in Washington, D.C. And um, sadly, again, that will be a virtual event uh, and not look the same as previous years have been. However, we're moving forward with a, a small monument just off the mall that's being built in one of the last available spots that you can build a monument. Okay. It's very small compared yeah. to other monuments. <laughs> and uh, we're moving forward with an archive of Peace Corps materials and an audio archive and a muse and a new head um, office for NPCA, which is just down the street from the Peace Corps office. Um, as you might remember, the pandemic caused all volunteers, there were over 7,000 of them, to be evacuated from all over the world mm-hmm. in March last year. And so it's a very pivotal moment for the Peace Corps, and they are working to safely and gradually return volunteers to the field. And um, that will all the countries where we were operating, I think, except two, have said yes. We want you to come back, and the local staff are in place. But it's as you uh, as you can imagine, quite a challenge. Sure. Well, you, you lose to, some momentum, mm-hmm. and you have folks who might be tentative about taking on an assignment who may have embraced that opportunity a year or two ago. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So lots of things to commemorate the 60th anniversary, and in addition, there will be a new director of the Peace Corps because that person is appointed by the president. So the former one left on January 20th. And um, there are about 30 top staff there. So, and then you mentioned a vow, Mm -hmm. Advancing Voices of Women. And um, that that organization I helped co-found four years ago, uh, right after the Women's March in January 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, three of the four of us had attended the march. And uh, it wasn't so much about, um, I think it was a way to, for all of us to channel some, some really disappointment and negative emotions following the 2016 election into a positive force for good for women in Allen County and our community. And... We've been reflecting on this now that we're four years in, sure. and it's nonpartisan. We accept women from both parties or no party, and we encourage them to become more engaged in issues that affect our community. Uh, we encourage them to write op-eds that then appear in the Sunday Journal-Gazette. 
We have held dozens of civil conversations on controversial topics where experts will speak on both sides, mm -hmm. and then attendees will break out into groups and discuss that, that topic and see if they can find some sort of common ground. Sometimes it's possible and sometimes it's not. Well, I mean, it's commendable that the effort is there because there's so much that's happening right now that's the opposite of that. I mean, exactly. it's one of my least favorite things about social media, how easy it is to throw divisive opinions out there and then run away, uh, hide behind a screen and not have to be responsible to that. So I commend the organization for bringing those voices together and at least trying to convene some kind of civil conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And we also train women to... Um, run for political office mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or to be ready to have an appointment to an appointed board or commission sure or to work on somebody else's campaign mm -hmm. so we a big part of it is to get women more involved really from the ground level all the way up to I'm going to run for Congress. Sure. You know? <laughs> so leadership in a number of different mm -hmm. ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. Mm -hmm. So so you mentioned some things from your employer. You mentioned some things with the VOW. You mentioned some things with Peace Corps. That's plenty. But anything else, any other major um, projects, if you will, or things that are on your mind right now? Isn't that enough? <laughs> <laughs> that's plenty. That's plenty. Because you also have two grown daughters and, you know, all of that to, to balance. So, yeah. Yeah, that's plenty. Well, let's do this. With, with all those things on your plate, this is where we go to what I call the speed round of the, of the show, where we kind of summarize those three questions. And I'm going to put a little bit of a different spin on one of them for you. But the first thing I want to ask you very succinctly is... When it comes to a career path, you mentioned that yours was sort of long and winding, not necessarily a straight shot. In all that, what's the best piece of career advice that you've learned that maybe you would share with your daughters, you would share with someone from any walk of life? What's the thing you'd want people to know about a career path? What I tell my daughters, what I told my daughters, one is in the legal field and one is in the um, public health field. Uh, what I told them is you must earn enough money to be independent and never depend on somebody else. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. must earn enough money to support yourself. And they yep. have both done that, and I'm very proud of them for doing that. Um, however, what I would tell other people, <laughs> not <laughs> that, so... <laughs> that, was that a way of just having them safely leave the nest and be on their own? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, okay, right, good, good advice. Uh, they never leave. <laughs> they, they never leave, and that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, but have some sort of little backup skill. Uh, have something that you can do that's separate from your job okay. description, whether it's photography or mm -hmm. videography or an award-winning Instagram presence or some knowledge about, you know, some, some sport. Or mm -hmm. some craft or something that you can offer as like a, a bonus thing. And not necessarily to, sometimes it's a money-making yeah. endeavor and yeah. a side hustle. Or, but sometimes it's just some expertise that you can offer to colleagues or friends or something that kind of elevates you a little bit above yeah, so th this Everyone might else. sound obvious, but but what's the benefit in that from your perspective? You know, a lot of people will say, you know, find out what you're great at and spend all your time on that. And what I hear you saying is, yeah, it's it's important to have a focus in your professional life, but it's equally as important to have this different facet, a skill that maybe isn't what you get paid for 40 hours a week. Why do you think that's so important? To make you a well-rounded person. Um, and I think for 
some time now we've been moving away from being from knowing a little bit about a lot of things from being a generalist yeah and i really had to be a generalist mm-hmm. at the news sentinel yeah. i edited stories from you know local national international and all the sections yeah and didn't matter if I was interested in it or not. That was my job, and I sure. had to at least know a little bit about many, many things. And now the trend is to just become an expert in this one thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very sad when you find a person who's brilliant at you know, website design, for example, who doesn't know who, um, who you know, Ivan Lebomoff was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, just to use a name we've, yeah. that's come up sure. Well, tonight. There's, there's something to be said for being well-rounded and having different facets to your... And know about where you yeah. live, know sure. a little bit about history, just a little bit. No, yeah. or doesn't know what a what a, a red-tailed hawk looks like, yeah. you know, sure. when they see one flying overhead, uh, something like that. So, um, so I think the benefit is to just make you a more well-rounded um, citizen of your yeah. community. To be a curious human being, there's there's some value in mm-hmm. that, yeah. And to be able to connect dots between things, yeah. Especially as you get older, that becomes a lot more important. The people you know, rather than like the topic that you study or the the thing that you do at work. Yeah, yeah. To be a connector of people and ideas is a pretty fulfilling thing, and and has value in mm-hmm. addition to that. All right, so let's let's sum up the Girl Scouts of Northern Indiana, Michiana. If somebody stopped you on the street and said, okay, I know a little bit about Girl Scouts, but what makes, this is where I'm going to put a little different spin on the organization. What do you think makes the Girl Scouts special? You know, if someone were considering different options for, um, you know, let's say they have a daughter and they're thinking about how could this person productively spend her time and they're thinking about Girl Scouts versus other organizations or they're, maybe they have some money to give and they're thinking about do I give it there or do I give it somewhere else? Why do you think the organization you work for very specifically is worthy of being part of or investment, however you want to put it? I think it gets back to the fact that it is for all girls everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it is girl-centered, and mm-hmm. it is girl-driven, and it is girl-led. Mm-hmm. And it has been for over 100 years. And so if you, are, if you care about the future of the world and you understand that leadership begins at a very young age, not by the time you are an adult. Mm-hmm. Those skills are need to be in place much earlier than that. Yeah. And if you believe that women need to take their rightful 50% role in all levels of decision-making from politics to edu- academia to business, then you have to start early. Mm-hmm. And... All the programming that we do, all the activities are meant to encourage girls to leave their comfort zone, take chances in a safe environment, learn new skills, be adventurous, be outdoors, do things that they are maybe scared of doing at first, like speaking in public or asking a stranger if they would like to buy cookies or playing their guitar in front of other people Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. examples. Yeah. And so we have the track record 
We have this nationwide movement that influences, has influenced millions of girls, millions of Girl Scout alumni out there who are in Congress, who are in elected office. I mean, there are dozens and dozens of women in Congress right now who were former Girl Scouts, Mm -hmm. quite a few of them. And it's the biggest leadership organization for girls in the country. Yeah, well, that makes a pretty good case right there. So last question, Um, you obviously have experienced quite a bit and a lot of it in a leadership role, whether that's at work, through a vow, through a Peace Corps. And there's a lot of people right now who are struggling one way or another, whether it's economically, whether it's health, whether it's health of a family member, just with all the anxieties that are out there. So, you know, as you look at all the challenges people are facing and so many people looking for guidance and optimism, what would you say to someone who was struggling? And, and you know, think of this not just in a, in a marketing context. This is a marketing podcast, but we, all, we obviously go broader than that. But, but what do you think is, is worth thinking about if people want a little more optimism, if they want to feel a little bit better about where things are headed? <laughs> it's a big question. <laughs> it is. And I laugh now when I think that we all used to be asked for a, our five-year plan. Doesn't five years seem like a ridiculous amount of time? Like <laughs> yeah. if I knew five months, I think I would be, I would feel lucky. Um, I read something the other day that was a little bit depressing. And um it was something to the effect of if you're not like killing it at work right now, it's okay. It's enough to just keep your family healthy, keep yourself healthy, you know, just maintain. It's it's a challenging time for everybody and um so don't don't beat up on yourself if you're not like, you know, just really the top at everything, the best, mm-hmm. you know, the A plus, winning those awards. And so I don't really, I guess I understand where they're coming from, but I feel like you have to kind of get out of your own head mm-hmm. and your own self. And sometimes your career or your education certainly is that thing that is going to give you something productive to do for eight to 10 hours a day. So you are not focusing on the pandemic, yeah. on politics, on how many people are sick and dying, yeah. and other challenges you face in your own personal life. And um, folk, I mean, pick something. Yeah. And I think that's been sort of one of the big problems in the last couple of years is that People don't have enough productive things to do, and they're spending too much time in their own head or yeah, on social media, as you as you said. And they get down these rabbit holes, and, yeah. and they go in dangerous directions. And yeah, um, yeah. That, that's great advice. I mean, I, I really, I really believe that. And and I, I can tell you, sometimes people ask me, why do you stay so busy? And it's I always say because if I wasn't so busy, I would get nothing done because mm-hmm. I would spend all my time inside mm-hmm. my own head. Mm-hmm. But being productive, even in small ways, um, helps you be, I think, more creative in a number of ways and helps you from that spiral. And right now, there is a lot of opportunity to spiral in, in 2021, for sure. Right. And we all miss the person-to-person contact that we used to have with meetings and lunches and conferences and traveling. Um, 
So this is a little thing, and you've probably heard it before, but don't forget the old-fashioned art of just handwriting a, a letter or a thank you note to somebody or picking up the phone and calling them. I know I was guilty of depending on email a lot, and yeah. I've really made a point of reaching out by phone and handwritten notes. I love to get mail, and um, so I've decided to to do my part and send a lot of it too. Yeah. Well, I was I was having lunch with a mutual friend of ours, Larry Wardlaw today, and we were mm-hmm. talking about the fact that, you know, one of the silver linings of the last year has been, you know, maybe a new attentiveness to the relationships that really matter because in some respects it's been forced on some of us because we're spending more time with those people but in other respects you know you kind of we took for granted the opportunity to have lunch with someone or to pop in and see a friend and now that we can't i think again being optimistic maybe but we're a little more intentional about those interactions i think that's a good thing mm-hmm. i'm meeting here with you that's, that's right it's like the only thing i've done this that's week right. and and <laughs> this whole podcast is a product of the pandemic it was a sneaky way for me to have more social time with people i enjoy so there, there you, you go. go yeah well faith thank you very much for being one of those people someone i truly enjoy hearing about and from and spending time with thanks for your time and good luck with the cookie sale and everything else you're working on you're very welcome well and thanks everyone for listening We'll be back next week with another great guest, and we hope to see you then.